audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you're new with us this morning, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for for being here. If there's any way that, that we can help you, I mean it. Please don't hesitate to ask. Just, just let me know. Um, also, um, if, uh, if you are new with us, you're stepping right into a series that we started a few weeks ago in the book of Luke. So this morning, we're going to be continuing it. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3 this morning. So you can either uh, scroll with me there, flip with me there, and, and find your place in Luke 3. But what's going to happen is Luke is going to turn our focus back to a man named John the Baptist. This is a very interesting scene that we're about to drop into. And, and so before we get started in that, um, what I want us to do, church, is just to stop and to pray. And, and let's just ask that God would, would work through and in our time together this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we, um, we come into this room uh, with, uh, with different stories. Uh, our, our weeks have looked different. But God, we're here in this room, and one thing is true. And that is you are God. We are grateful for you. We are thankful for your word. And in this time together this morning, I just pray that you would speak, that you would open our, our ears, that you would uh, give us eyes to see uh, what you would have for us this morning. We are, we are a grateful people. And so we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, church, let's, let's look at chapter three together. I was, I was laughing because... The text I'm about to read has like seven really difficult names to pronounce, so don't judge me, all right? If I hear snickering, you're going to come up here and do it, all right? No, I'm joking. In the 15th year, starting in verse 1 of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate uh, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria, and Trachonitis, there we go. I told you, don't judge me. And Lazanius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and in Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So uh, the reason I took time to read this is, is I know that these names probably don't mean much to any one of us in this room, uh, but they're important because what they lay out for us is we are not dealing with a fairy tale here. And here's what I mean by this. We, we're not dealing with uh, fictional stories, but what we're dealing with is, is actual events that took place in actual time with actual people. Uh, so, so Luke here is setting up this section in John, and, he, and he's kind of, think of it like this. He's kind of tossing out an anchor, and he's anchoring this story in history, He's telling it, this is a historical account. He lists seven rulers from the largest, most comprehensive leader down to the the smallest regional leader. He just lists them out, be like us starting from the president, governor, mayor, whatever. He's just listing out this. And what it does for us is it shows us these are actual rulers in actual history. And this would have taken place roughly around 29 A.D., and it's important to, to just, even though you, know, you might not be a history buff, it's important to, for us to know that this is not fiction. 
that this happened in a literal place. And, and what we're seeing here is John stepping into his ministry. It says the word of God came to him, right? And so God's given him this message, and he's about to um, let her rip, all right? So let's look at this in verse 3. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here John is... is is setting out with this God-given mission in his mission statement, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, this is, um, there's something important here I want us to dig just a little bit before we, before we move on. Um, but our text here, it, it's talking about baptism. And if for those of us who have been baptized, um, by the way, let me push the pause button. If you're here and you have not been baptized and you would like to get baptized, please let us know. We love celebrating baptisms here at Stone Oak. We love it, and if there is any way that we can help you uh, answer any questions that you may have, please, we want to do that. The best way to do that is just to find me, find a leader, or, or meet us at the Connect booth in the back. We're gonna get you set up on that. Uh, we also have a box in the back of the room um, that's where we can you know, give to support ministry here, but that's also a way to connect with us and communicate with us. And so if you would like to talk more about baptism, please don't leave here without doing it. Uh, drop it in the box. Come see us at the Connect booth. That's enough that I'll say about that, though. Um, but I encourage you to do that. Uh, for those who have been baptized, though, what did it mean? What was it? Um, why do we do it? Well, the scripture tells us, we believe that the scripture tells us a couple of reasons. One, it's an outward symbol of what's going on inwardly, of what has gone on inwardly in us. Meaning, um, baptism, hear me, does not save you. Baptism does not make you a Christian. We get baptized because we are a Christian. And it announces outwardly what, is, what God has done in changing our heart inwardly. It announces that, it announces that outwardly. This is nothing we do or add to what God has done. This is just a proclamation. It announces it for the world to see. Number two, baptism is an identifier. So what I mean by that, it's like us saying, I am with him. I identify with Christ. More than that, I can also add to that, I am with them. Saying not only am I identifying with Christ, but I am a part of the people of God. I'm a part of, the, it's, in an, it's an identification, right? And then thirdly, it's a symbol that proclaims the gospel. I love this about baptism, but we can see the gospel in baptism. As we go down into the water and come back up, it's a symbol, a visual reminder that our Savior was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that by the grace of God, church, praise God, he rose. And now we, um, through Christ, now we pass from death to life. And that we who were once dead and sinner about made new, given life in Christ, and one day we will rise. Amen? Amen. That's what baptism does. Have I told you how much I love celebrating baptisms? It's one of my favorite things in the world. Baptisms in every way, church, point to the completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So let me ask you, what did John's baptism mean? What was, what was John, was it the same thing? When we see John baptizing, did it, did it mean the same thing? Did it mean something different? Uh, our text says that 
proclaiming a baptism of what? Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Here's the reality, church. John's baptism was a bit different from yours and, and mine today. It was, a, it was a bit different from, from ours in the New Testament church because Christ had not yet given his life, conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose. That had not happened yet. In other words, John's baptism did not point back to the completed work of Jesus like mine did and like yours did. You following me? So if that's true, it, John's baptism then, our text says, was one of what? Of repentance. Now, as I was studying this this week, there's something that, that for me was really important to be able to wrap my mind, my mind around in order to understand not only John's baptism, but what John is about to say, because it's a little odd. And, and so what, what I realized is that Old Testament saints would perform baptism. And you know, I'm not sure if, you, if you've realized this, but John here didn't invent baptism. I know that's weird because his name is John the Baptist, and he was neither the inventor of baptism nor was he Baptist. It's a very uh, misleading name, I know. But, but they would perform baptisms, and, and most of the time, many times in their life, they would perform baptisms. And for them, what it was was a ceremony of purification, it was a ceremony of purification. In other words, uh, they would have a sin in their life. They would, they would see it. They would acknowledge it. They would be convicted. They would repent. They would seek forgiveness. And they would get baptized as a symbol that they had repented of that sin. Right? It was, it was, a, it was an acknowledgement that, that I was wrong. I is, I'm in sin, turning away, repenting. And then the, the, the baptism was a symbol that symbolized that repentance and forgiveness. This is going to be important. It was a symbolized that it symbolized washing away, right? Going down, coming back up, washed clean. It was a purification. And, and this was John's message, and it was also John's baptism. Now, this is important here. Uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John was calling them to prepare themselves. Now, um, he was saying, if there's a sin... And this is going to, we're going to build on this. He's pleading with them. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't get cozy with it. Don't explain it away. Don't turn your eyes from the sin that you know is there. Instead, repent of it. Acknowledge it. Repent of it for the forgiveness of sins. And church, um, this is a message that we could probably stand to hear more today. Uh, I, I've heard it said often, and, and I've said this before, that there are a couple topics that they tell you are not popular to preach, right? Um, the first one we've talked about this is being money. So a series on money is not going to probably cause the people in our community to cancel their weekend plans and come here and talk about giving. That's probably not going to happen. It's not a very popular message. The second one we talked about is actually evangelism. Uh, evangelism, the same thing. It, it's, it's most of, most people feel a little bit convicted that maybe we should be doing it more often, and so we'll stay home on that weekend. We, you know, that's, that's what we've been told. Well, here, John's message here um, may take the prize for the most um, unpopular message that could be preached. Repent. Even saying the word makes us uncomfortable. Repent, right? Repent. Um, 
but I believe it's a message that needs to be preached today. And before I go any further, I want, I want to be very clear here. Um, I am not talking about this message, his message, is not a message for um, them. You know, a message that they need to hear, that they need to repent, that they need to um, out there, if only they would repent and stop being heathens. That's not what this message is about. Um, sure, they need to repent. More than that, they need Jesus. Amen? That's what, that's what they need. Uh, this message is not a for them message. This is a for me, for you, for us. This is a we message. This is something for us. I'm talking specifically to us, the church. Oh, that we would take sin seriously. Oh, that we would take repentance seriously. This is John's message. He continues in verse 4. And, and so we, we started out by saying that John first started by tossing out an anchor that anchored this story in history. Well, he's about to toss out another anchor, and he's going to anchor it in God's plan theologically. Uh, he, he, he tells us that this scene is a fulfillment of what God told us was going to happen. Listen to this. I think it might sound familiar. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, hopefully that sounded familiar. Uh, just a few, a few minutes ago, we read Isaiah 40. Uh, and this is a direct quote from Isaiah 40. This is a direct reference here. And Luke is telling us clearly, this is the voice in the wilderness. This is the one that, that I told you would come. And um, this voice is the one preparing the way for the one I told you about, the Messiah, the Christ. He is coming. This, this, again, loudly declares not only God has a plan, but that this fits perfectly in his plan. Now, a weird thing's about to happen next. So it's been all, all good and, and fine. And then look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So how great is that? This is not the way to build a following, right? Um, you don't learn in preaching 101 to insult people first, right? But that's exact. hopefully you didn't, you know, hear you snake when you came in, right? But, but this is what John chooses to, to do here. And by the way, he is God's chosen prophet. He has every right to do this. I'm going to hold off, and I won't do that, all right? So not yet, at least. Um, but here John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, listen to this, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Remember, church, what this baptism was all about this is why it was important to see that. They were coming to receive John's baptism as a ceremonial purification. They were coming to be baptized so that they would be purified of their sins. That's what they were doing. That's what they came to John for. And, and here's the problem that John addresses. 
You have not repented. And he calls them snakes in the process. You have not repentance, re- repented. Repentance is the turning away from your sins. It's acknowledgement and an active turning away. And here, they had not done that. And he says to them, you are certainly not bearing out the, refru- the fruits of repentance. You are coming to do this ceremony, thinking that something you can do can make you okay with God. You are coming to do this, to perform this ritual when your heart is wicked and you have no intent and you have never repented in your life. I think of a modern parallel for us would be uh, like today going to church, doing the whole church thing, doing everything that comes along with that in hopes that that will make you good. In hopes that that's going to make everything okay between you and God and that, that, that sin that you are clinging to no longer needs to be addressed. Thinking that our church attendance or involvement, charitable donations, or any kind of religious symbol, thinking that that will somehow take care of our sin problem. There is only one person who takes care of sin problems, and it's not you or anything that we do. It's like, it's like God, we think God will, will look down on us and say, well, at least they went to church, right? At least they, they weren't like that other guy over there, right? And, and it, God's not going to look down and say, well, at least they went through the motions. God sees the heart, church. God sees saw the heart then, and he sees the heart now. This is what John's speaking to here, and he reminds them. God is not going to look at them and say, well, at least they were baptized. At least they were baptized. And then he's gonna drive this home a little more, make them even more angry. In verse eight, he says, and do not begin to say to ourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise, or able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He is reminding them that not only is God not going to look down on them and say, well, at least they were baptized, but he's also not going to look down on them and say, well, at least they were children of Abraham. At least they were my, uh, they were my covenant people. God is clear here. He sees the heart, and this is a heavy and direct message by John to these people, repent and bear the fruits of that repentance. He continues on in verse nine. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's as though he's saying, you know what you do when you plant an apple tree And year after year after year after year after year, it just is there, withered, brown, brittle, bearing no fruit. You know what you do? John says, well, what you do is you cut that tree down and you use it for firewood. That's what John is saying. And and it reminds me instantly of Jesus's own words in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, you don't have to turn here. I'm going to put it on the screens for you. But he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? By the way, if you don't know the answer to that, the answer is no. All right. 
Um, we go to H-E-B. Anyway, um, <laughs> verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and, same language, thrown into the fire. Thus we will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is cutting directly to a heart issue. And John is cutting directly to that same heart issue. And from our text, you get this sense, which is amazing because they've been called snakes. They've been called out. But you get this sense that even after all of that, it's not landing on deaf ears. They hear it. They hear it and they respond. Listen in verse 10. And the crowds asked them, what then shall we do? Right, what then shall we do? You, you, we've heard you. You nailed it. What do we do now? Now, verse 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Then tax collectors roll up and, and ask the similar question. By the way, tax collectors were not the most upstanding citizens in this culture. They were known for stealing. Uh, but right here, here they are, they come to him, and they, they, said, they came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he says to them, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. All right, the, so then the, the soldiers roll up. The soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to him, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. That's a weird response. What is going on there? What is happening? These people come, they're responding, they want to be baptized, and John says, calls out blatant sin in their lives. He just calls out the blatant sin that they've been content with. And he's saying, repent and bear fruit. He addresses the sin and, and takes it seriously, and he reminds them that God sees the heart, and that he's calling them to true repentance, not just being dunked, but to true repentance. Um, I think instantly about uh, Micah 6, 8. I love this verse because of how crystal clear that it makes it for us. Listen, church, for everyone in this room who considers yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Amen. In other words, it's not a mystery. In other words, God has told us what he desires, right? Justice, kindness, humility, and these were not the things that were on display in the people in our story today. Um, John is saying, people, God's not going to look down on you, your sin, and your stealing, your greed, your cruelty, your pride, the lack of justice, kindness, and humility, and say, well, at least they're going through the motions. At least they were baptized. Right? He's saying God's not going to look down. Baptism is a symbol of repentance 
It's a symbol of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. But baptism itself is not what the Lord requires. He's seeking the heart. And baptism is a symbol, again, of an inner work. God looks through those symbols, those motions, and he looks at the heart. We see this all through the Bible, by the way. I could have put a lot of verses up. I just chose one. Uh, Hosea 6, 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What is he saying? What is he saying? He said, God seeks the heart, and there's no religious activity that can replace that. God seeks the heart, and religious activity is supposed to announce what is going on in the heart, not replace it. So John says simply, repent. I want us to fast forward for a little bit, and I want us to consider our lives today. The problem that, that we see John addressing is one that I see us often doing, and that is finding our confidence finding our assurance, our confidence in things that we are doing while ignoring the heart, while justifying the heart, while, while trying to, to ignore it and get past it. And John reminds them, you may be ignoring the heart issues, but God does not ignore the heart. So often, this is what we do, we, and myself included, we justify ourselves by saying, at least I'm not like that guy, and at least I'm not that bad, at least I, I'm a part of a church, at least I have a community group, at least fill in the blank, I, I don't do this, I do that, I mean, but let me say it like this, and, and I want you to hear me, justification is God's business, God's work and God's work alone. He justifies us, means, meaning he makes us right before God, period. He makes us right. And because that is true, hear me, anytime you or I are seeking to justify ourselves, we have missed it. Anytime that we catch ourselves well, I don't do this, well, I do this, well, God's grace, right? Anytime that we are justifying ourselves as we feel conviction, we have missed it. This is exactly what they were trying to do in our text, to justify themselves apart from addressing the heart issues. By the way, let him justify you. He's better at it than you are. He's much better at it than you are. Let him justify us. Instead of justifying ourselves, I, I think we must realize something. One is that your standing with God, your salvation is not and has never been a result of anything that you have done. It is only the result of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Only he has the right to justify only he has the right. We have been saved by grace through faith. We have been forgiven. And because of that, follow me here, because that is true, church, we should take our sin more seriously than anyone else on the planet. 
And it's not because any sin is too big. It's not because we, we're worried that, that somehow um, we need to make ourselves perfect. It's not like that at all. Let me put it like this this morning. A few reasons we should take our sin seriously. One, we should take our sin seriously because our God takes our sin seriously. Your sin is such a serious thing to our God that he sent his son to die. To die on the cross on our behalf. Jesus died for your sin. Why on earth, church, would we be content with sin in our lives? Why on earth would we be content cozying up and cuddling up to it? Why on earth would we explain it away and justify it? Why on earth would we take it lightly, flippantly, or joking when that sin took our Savior's life? We take sin seriously because our God takes sin seriously. Amen? The second reason we take our sin seriously is because a repentant heart is the byproduct of a changed heart. Please don't hear me wrong. I am not saying that we no longer struggle with sin as Christians. I am not saying that. In fact, I am saying the opposite. I believe only Christians struggle with sin. Before I came to know Jesus, I did not struggle with sin. I just did it. But after Jesus came and, and changed me and set me free, now it is a battle. Now it is, it is a struggle, a fight. Saved souls are repentant souls. If you're here in this room, and let me just be honest, and you do not have a repentant heart, if you're here in this room and you call yourself a follower of Jesus and yet you are unwilling or you refuse to repent, this is a warning sign for you. This is a warning sign that you need to address in your life. It is not my place or anyone else's place to tell you you're standing before God. As I said, justification is a work of God alone, period, it's God's business. But church, if you're here and you have no desire to repent of the sin in your life, there are, it's like on a car when you have warning lights. There's a warning light that we need to address. I urge you, come to Christ and examine yourself. Returning to the tree analogy, why do trees, or apple trees, bear apples? Because apples are a natural byproduct of an apple tree. A natural byproduct. The byproduct of a changed heart is a repentant heart. The third reason that we should take sin seriously is because repentance is, a, is necessary for spiritual health. It is important for you to hear me here. Um, it is impossible for us to walk closely with our God, to be growing in our relationship with him actively. While we are openly, I don't know why I'm using this word, but cuddling and comfortable with sin in our life. It is impossible. Yet, if we're honest in this room, how many times have we tried to do that? As someone 
who has tried church, it does not work. Why? Why? Because sin is destructive to our spiritual vitality. Don't hear me wrong. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. But your sin has the ability to cripple your spiritual life. And as we understand this, repentance and self-examination becomes a vital part, should become a vital part, uh, become a spiritual discipline in our lives. And just by the way, if, if you're here in confession and, and repentance is not a part of your everyday life, if, if you're here and you can't remember how long it's been uh, since you have repented to God for, for sin in your life, I, I encourage you, I challenge you, start this week. Start this week. It doesn't have to be much. Just come to him and ask, God, would you reveal things in me that you're working on? Would you show me ways that you want to grow me? Would you show me areas of sin in my life that I can come to you and repent? I can confess. It's incredible how this discipline will strengthen our walk with our Savior. It is incredible. And we'll start to come to him with just putting everything on the table. Say, take it, please. Take it. Take it all, please. I'm a new creature in you because repentance is not only the sign of, of a person who has been saved by God, but church, repentance is a necessary part of what it means to walk daily with our God. It's a lost art. So we take our sin seriously. We take seriously our repentance. And John continues, listen to this. As people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Let me pause there. So, so these people could tell something is different about this man, this message. Something is different. They're like, could it be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah we've been waiting for? And then John answers him um, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Love that. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, there's someone else coming and his baptism is going to be different. There's someone else coming. When God's Spirit, and by the way, John is painting a picture of what we saw happen in Acts 2 at Pentecost. right? When the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus said, would come, he came and fell on believers, filling them, baptizing, sending them with fire. Church, this is pointing us forward to Acts 2. Pointing us forward. And then listen to this. John says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's talking about Jesus here. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, um, <laughs> I know that not many of us, anyone winnow over the weekend, right? <laughs> anyone ever been on a threshing floor, right? Um, probably not. Um, but uh, I would assume not. If there is someone who has, I'd love to talk to you after this. But this is, a, this is powerful imagery here. So what's going on here? Here's how it would work. It, winnowing is a custom that they would, they, the ancient civilizations would, would use to separate wheat and grain from all the stuff you don't want, chaff and 
um, even bugs, all that stuff, that you separate. Here's how it works. So they would, they would take the wheat, they would put it on what is called a threshing floor, and you would take a, a big uh, pitchfork-looking thing, like a, like a rake with longer, anyway, I should have brought one. Um, <laughs> not that I have one. Um, but you, you would go to the floor, and you would take it, and you would flip it up in the air. You would just take the grain, throw it up in the air. It would work best when there was a strong wind, and what you would do is you would take the, gr- the grain, the wheat, and you would throw it up, and, and the wind would carry away the chaff, and the grain, wheat, would fall down because it weighed more. And so it was a way of separating um, the, the wheat and, and the chaff, and then you would take the grain, the stuff on the floor, you would collect it, you would take it to a barn, it was useful, um, and then you would take the, the chaff, you would dispose of it. And, and this, with this imagery, with that imagery on your mind, John tells them this is what Jesus is going to do. With his winnowing fork, he will separate wheat from the chaff, his people from others. And there's this, this heartbreaking imagery here of the unquenchable fire, the judgment for those who have rejected Christ, who uh, are unrepentant of their, of their sin. It's the same language, again, used by Jesus himself in Matthew 7. And then, follow me. It is so interesting that Luke would say what he says in verse 18. Verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. What? <laughs> what on earth is that? Like, he, he, this is fire. Fire, winnowing forks. Like, this is, this is good. But remember for a moment what our text has told us leading up to this point. In verse 3, it says, repentance for what? For the forgiveness of sins. Verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Church, I'm going to end with this today, and hear me. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. The good news is not that there is no longer judgment. The Bible is clear that there will be judgment. The good news is that there is salvation from that judgment through Jesus Christ. The good news is not that, okay, well, now God is okay with sin. No, the good news is that there is forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Your your sin has not been ignored. No, it's better than that. The good news, it's been dealt with completely and fully through Jesus Christ. The good news is not that sin no longer matters. The good news is now that you are in a battle, you battle not on your own strength, that you battle through the Spirit of God. You battle. You are not alone in this battle. The good news is that we are sinners, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The good news is that we are sinners being conformed more and more to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The good news is not that we no longer need to come to God in repentance The good news is that when we do, church, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is good news. God, he does not see and ignore your heart. The good news is that he sees the heart and transforms it through his spirit. 
That is the good news, church. And the call is, is to repent because God loves you. God loves you, and through Christ there is, as John says, forgiveness of sin. Not an avoidance of sin, but a forgiveness of sin. There is salvation through Jesus Christ. Church, would you, um, just right where you are, would you close your, close your eyes and bow your head with me? Typically, you know, at the end of, of our time, I, I'll, I'll pray for us and, and we'll kind of close the message by, by me praying for us. But this morning, I'd like to do something just a little bit different. Right where you are. Over the next minute or so, church, I, I want to just ask you to respond in prayer. I want to ask you just to come before God, ask him to reveal things in your heart that that you should confess to him. I want to ask, would you come to him uh, in repentance this this morning? Here in a a moment, we get the opportunity to take communion together, and in 1 Corinthians 11.28, Paul tells us, let a person examine himself. Let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. And so here in a minute, that's exactly what we are going to do. Right where you are, would you take a moment to respond, to examine yourself, to pray, to repent, and to, that, to ask the Lord to speak to you. Let's pray together.